We are on the, uh, I think, the, the tail end of our series called The Seven Yeses. We are asking and answering seven questions that all of us have deep in our souls. Seven questions we all want to answer yes to. So that's just a little primer to the quiz because we're gonna review. And I need you to, to be very vocal about the answers to these questions. Remember, we are in a series called The Seven Yeses. So uh, week one, am I safe? The answer is... Yes. Week two, am I secure? The answer is yes. Week three, am I loved? The answer is yes. Last week we talked about am I wanted? And the answer is yes. Today we're going to talk about am I successful? Now wait, 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 wait. We haven't answered it yet. Haven't answered it yet. Am I successful? Am I successful? Now, for some of us, this is our apex question, meaning of the seven questions, this is my number one question. This is what drives my life. This is what animates me. This is what motivates me. This is what gets me up you know, every day to get out and to get to work, right? And to accomplish things. So for some of us, this is our apex. But if this is not your apex question, we still want the answer to be yes. So we may not be driven by this success the way we might define success, but we all want to have this feeling that what we're doing is successful, whether it's our apex question or not. If this is your apex question, and I talked to many this morning who came out as this, as, with this as their apex question. And if you wanna find out, you can just search uh, David Foster or seven primal questions, take a little test, takes you two minutes, good stuff for conversation. If this is your apex question, me, this means you are wired and driven for success. You have the drive for success, you have the skill sets for success which usually means people skills, organizational skills, visioning skills, planning skills, nunchuck skills, the essentials, right? It also means you put in the work for success. You got the drive, you got the skills, and you put in the work. So you got a strong work ethic to success. There's some very good things about people who are driven by success with this as your apex question. You are probably quite confident, or at least you come across as confident, and that tends to maybe draw people to you. You try to improve everything around you. You try to improve the systems around you. You try to improve the people around you. You are a problem solver. You find problems and fix problems. You can handle multiple initiatives at the same time. You can produce great work. You're a visionary. You likely have a competitive streak about you. You don't mind winning. You very much like to win. Uh, and you are likely a great employee. Employers love success-driven people. They tend to have their own initiative, they tend to be self-starters, and they tend to do great work. That's success-driven people. Now, as with any of these questions, there are some cautions. So if you are driven by success, there are some cautions about how you're wired. You could have a fear of underachieving, you could have a fear of failure, and that kind of motivates you. So it's not maybe just a positive thing, I wanna succeed, but it's to prevent a negative thing. You have a, a deep fear of failure or disappointing others. You could be prone to workaholism. You are so driven by success, you will do what it takes to succeed, and sometimes that might mean burning yourself out. You may, as a result, prioritize projects over people uh, you may project success, but inside you may struggle with insecurity. In fact, one of the reasons you might be so driven for success is to mask a deep insecurity for whatever reason. Uh, you might struggle asking for help because you don't want to come across as somebody who's unsuccessful and has a need for help. So let's say, I got this, I got this, I got this, and then you scramble to figure out how you got that. Um, you struggle saying, I'm sorry, and you struggle saying, my bad, because that means 
you're not successful at something. That means you messed up on something and you have to apologize for it. So for you, apologies are very difficult. Now, as with all of these questions, you might be wired like this because, at least in part, but not necessarily, because of your upbringing, right? So you might have some things about your upbringing, maybe how you were raised, the context in which you were raised that might drive you to have this as your apex question. So for example, you might have had caregivers or parents who rewarded you only for performance, pushed success and rewarded you for success, talked about your success. And so you might have had parents that when they talk about you, only talk about your achievements. And that might sound good, it might sound positive, but it's really kind of not. Because what are you saying? You're saying, I value your achievement, I value your grades, I value your success, I value your performance, but we're not really talking about, well, who you are, just the fact that you're my son or my daughter. So it could be a very performance-driven upbringing, rewarding for uh, performance, rewarding for success. Winning or losing might have been very important in your, in your upbringing. But not only that, there could be uh, an upbringing that maybe had some neglect. Uh, you weren't paid attention to so much. You might have felt forgotten. You might have felt on the edges. And so you're driven by success, not because it was a performance-driven household, but because it perhaps was a neglectful household. And you've made the decision, despite my upbringing, I'm gonna succeed. I'm not gonna be defined by this you know, neglectful upbringing. I'm gonna kind of show them and I'm gonna be successful despite the way I was raised. Make some sense? One of uh, uh, our friends uh, was very honest this last week about why they are driven by success and why this was their apex question. It's because, in part, because she grew up poor. And she just made this decision, even in her youth, I will never again be poor. So whatever it takes, we're gonna be successful, right? So there's a lot of reasons that our upbringing or experiences or maybe even just our DNA, how we're wired, that might drive us to success. Now, when I saw the seven primal questions, when I read number, what are we, number five here, am I successful? I thought that for sure is my primal question, 100%. Because I've kind of got this entrepreneurial streak. Um, I've sort of got this drive to succeed at the things I, I do. And so uh, when I was 17 years old, for example, I thought, you know what? Uh, I can go work for a construction company because I knew I had to work my way through college or I could just own a construction company. Let's just own a construction company at 17 years old. And you might think to yourself, for those of you who know the business, um, can you have a contractor's license at 17 years old? And the answer is no. <laughs> Seven yeses, but this answer is no. You cannot have a contractor. Did that stop me? Not at all. Let's buy some tools, let's start marketing, hire some people, rented a shop down the road here, and we just got to work, and we did a lot of stuff, became kind of a regional company without a contractor's license. Now, this was late 80s, early 90s, so it wasn't quite as stringent, but still, we stopped doing illegal things around here at least a month or two ago, so <laughs> we're, we're past that now, right? But for those people who are success-oriented, you'll do what has to be done, right? Now, hopefully not breaking the law like I did as a 17-year-old, right? Uh, but it's been a long time. I think it's past the statute of limitations, so I think we're gonna be good. Um, when I uh, transitioned from there to full-time ministry, it's like, well, why do just normal youth ministry? Why not be over the top? And we did such over the top things around here, and it, we had a lot of fun. I would never approve one thing we did back when I was a, a youth pastor. It was just so ridiculously over the top. Um, and then we started producing media that was sold to thousands of churches nationwide. It's just, I just let's, what else can we do, right? And let's put our all to it. If you're gonna do something, why not be successful at it? 
And um, even when I, I was asked to become the lead pastor here in 2005, we were, you know, getting kind of older and we weren't all that diverse. And so we moved over to the campus here and let's get younger people and stuff. let's make this more diverse. Let's start a rescue mission. Uh, let's start, you know, get this little mom and pop church school into this regional school and, and let's make it the premier school, private school in the Inland Empire. I mean, why not? If you're gonna do something, why not be successful at it? Um, and not that, you know, we've achieved all things or, you know, are the model for all that, but the drive to succeed is there. And I gotta tell you, even for, you know, church, we've got so many people here who are driven to succeed in a healthy way. Uh, you know, Carissa, what Carissa does to lead our ministry team is phenomenal. And what Cherie does in terms of all the details of all the operations and organization. And I'm telling you, everything that happens here is not by accident. I mean, these musicians, they take incredible care with every note and every vocal, slides and tech. They spent two months on the drum mix here, two months on the drum mix, absolutely analyzing every little piece of the drum mix and added a couple little pieces of equipment so that it just gets better and better and better. And why not? People driven to success do those kinds of things and pay attention to those kinds of details. Now, can you have a company or a ministry or anything with all success-driven people? What's the answer? No, it'll be the least successful place on earth, right? Because everybody's gonna burn each other out. It'll be too competitive and people won't feel valued. So there's a time and a place for every single one of us, no matter how we're wired, but success-driven people have a unique and wonderful contribution. So, let's start with a question. Is this the definition of success? Let me show you. <laughs> now, I knew when I showed this picture there would be a combination of laughter and groans. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, this is a story that I just can't quit on. Give me more, I can't get enough. Some of you are like, I am so tired of the oversaturation of the uh, Kelsey Swift business. But I mean, there has been, at least in my lifetime, this is our royalty. This is American royalty. We don't have kings and queens, but this is, this is apex success. It is so ridiculously over the top American success, we can barely even handle it the over-the-top fame and fortune and influence and glory and pop music on the biggest global stages, uh, the, this athlete on the biggest global stage, exposure like you cannot even believe. It's just insane what is happening with this couple. Here's a couple of little stats. The Taylor Swift Eras Tour created in the American economy nearly $6 billion worth of economic activity. It moved the needle on American success the American economy, her tour moved the needle on that. That impact, nearly $6 billion impact on American economy is bigger than the gross domestic products of over 25% of the nations on earth. Her tour, insane. Since October 2nd, when the, you know, the, the Trav Tay couple kind of hit the, hit the world, it has had a $331 million impact on the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL since October 2nd. She and, and he have single-handedly increased the net uh, wealth of uh, NFL football owners by billions of dollars. Just that couple. Um, the viewership in the NFL has spiked beyond belief. I mean, can you imagine Roger Goodell and the NFL owners sitting around going, you know what would be absolutely perfect for us? <laughs> if Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey would date and then the Kansas City Chiefs would go to the Super Bowl. 
I mean, nothing on earth would be better for the NFL, and here they are. It's insane. I uh, played golf with a buddy of mine, and he was all ear-to-ear smiles, and, and he goes, uh, dudes, uh, I used to watch the NFL by myself in our little media room, and I'd bake myself some sandwiches, and I would watch football by myself. Now, I've got my three daughters and my wife that are with me, and they're bringing all the food and all the goodies, and I get to hang out with my family watching every single down of the NFL playoffs. He's the biggest smile on his face. Now, that's worth a lot to him. Let's talk about another kind of measure of success, this guy right here, Jeff Bezos. That is one of his yachts. He has a fleet of yachts. That is one of them, $400 million yacht. His worth, his worth as a single human being is worth more than the GDPs of 75% of the nations on earth. Insane is that success. How about this one, Margot Robbie? She took a lot of the conversation with Barbie and, and that whole movie became just an absolute phenom. Snub for the Oscar, so I'm out on the Oscars. <laughs> How about this guy, Kabi Lam? I had to search him out because I'm not a TikTok person. I dabble, but I'm not a TikTok person. This guy is the, uh, the top influencer on TikTok. He became Forbes 30 under 30, 30 most successful people under 30 because of his TikTok presence. All he did was show famous TikTok videos, then make a comment about him. And it happened to be funny. And he has swept the world. He is a Senegalese-born Italian and just absolutely a phenom on TikTok. So is that success? Riches, fame, and influence. Riches, fame, and influence. That's American definition of success. What does the Bible have to say about success? So we're gonna measure American success with what the Bible says. Now, what the Bible starts with in the Old Testament, first two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is obsessed with success. Obsessed with success. And the success uh, that's defined in the Old Testament happens to be riches, fame, and influence. The Old Testament is obsessed with success in terms of riches, fame, and influence. So the way this goes is, is like this. You might never have heard this about the Old Testament, but here you go, and you're welcome. The, the people of Israel in ancient times thought that their relationship with God was a deal, like a business deal. God says, here's my commandments. Call it the Ten Commandments, and there's some supporting commandments. Here's my Ten Commandments. God says, if you obey the Ten Commandments, I will make you rich, I will make you famous, and I will make you influential. That's the deal in the Old Testament. It's a business deal, basically. You obey my commandments, I'm gonna make you successful with riches, with fame, and with influence. Here's how it goes in Deuteronomy 28, verses nine through 11. God gave Israel the commandments, gave them the 10 commandments and a lot of supporting commandments along with that. Makes them this deal, here it is. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. What is that? It's a deal of success. You obey my commandments, the entire world will be in awe of you, famous. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. You are gonna be rich, you are gonna be famous, and you are gonna be influential. That's the deal of the Old Testament. That's called the Old Covenant. It's very conditional. God gave him the Ten Commandments and says, if you obey these, you're gonna be successful. Money, fame, influence. 
Now, that didn't work. It was a simple deal in ancient times, right? Ancient civilization was very tribal, prone to tearing each other apart, not treating each other well, not treating your neighbors well, um, being very chaotic, very violent with each other, and so nations wouldn't sustain. God just says, I'm gonna give you this little civil code, kind of, you know, the law. I'm gonna give you a civil code. You treat each other like this, you're gonna succeed in this world. It was a simple proposition, and it just didn't work. By the time you're done with the Old Testament, you see that the nation of Israel didn't consistently obey God's commands, which were for their best and, and to really create a, prosper, a prosperous society. They didn't follow that all the time, and so they tore each other apart. The nation split in two. The Assyrians came and wiped out the 10 tribes of the north. The Babylonians took into captive the two tribes from the south. So by the end of the Old Testament, this deal towards success, fame, wealth, and influence did not work. So you close your Old Testament and you're like, wow, that didn't work. Did not work. This deal, you do this, you'll be successful. Didn't work. So Jesus comes along and he asks us all to reevaluate our definition of success. Reevaluate our definition of success. And he puts it in different ways all throughout the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of your New Testament. But listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own what? Soul. He's changing the definition of success. You used to want the world. You used to want the riches and the fame and the influence. All the nations will exalt you. You used to want all of that stuff. But what use is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And the word that Jesus uses there is the Greek word psyche, which is very closely related to the English word psyche. <laughs> Little uh, linguistics for you there. It's kind of the invisible us, our mind, our heart, just kind of what makes us us, what makes us human and fully alive. That's our soul. Jesus says, I just want you to think about a different definition of success, not chasing what the world has to offer, not chasing what the Old Testament has to offer, wealth and fame and, and influence, but to rethink that and to say, how about the definition of, of success is what makes me fully human and fully alive, right? Let's change the thinking a little bit. To put it this way, to Jesus, the definition of success is aligning our soul with the soul of God. That's success from the life and the teaching of Jesus. So here's what he says in Matthew 6, 24. This is a Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's kind of creating this two kingdom idea. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus in the Bible never says that money is evil, never says that success is bad, never says that fame or influence is bad, not at all. It's just, who are, you, who are you serving and what are you serving? Jesus says, hey, listen, we've got a whole culture here that's been chasing wealth and chasing fame and chasing influence and defining that as success. Look at where that's got you as a nation. I mean, as much as I love our country, we are still chasing that definition of success and celebrating that definition of success. And I don't think it's made us a, um, necessarily a healthy people at a soul level, at a psyche level. So much unhappiness so much hollowness, so much loneliness, in part because we're serving the old definition of success, money, fame, influence. 
Jesus says you can't serve too. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but what are you gonna serve? And Jesus is saying, why not serve the soul level stuff? Why not serve and pursue a different definition of success, aligning our soul with the soul of God? So let's look at a couple more examples of people that are famous, but perhaps have given their lives to pursuing the soul of God. It's Black History Month, and we'll celebrate that throughout the month, church and school. Let's take a look at uh, arguably the most famous civil rights activist, Martin Luther King. Not known for his wealth, but there's a soul level journey there, right? Of civil rights to a people that were marginalized, abused and oppressed. It's a remarkable story, a soul level story. Here's another picture, Malala Yousafzai. She is Pakistani born, but born in a territory of Pakistan that was ruled by the Taliban. The Taliban prevented women from education. She and a whole group of women uh, decided to be educated despite the Taliban laws. She went to school and she advocated for girls to go to school. And then on the 9th of October, 2012, uh, Taliban sent soldiers to assassinate her and other girls who were also activists. And by just what could be the hand of God on her life, she survived, and she continues to be an activist today for the rights of women to be educated. Is that successful? They're not known for their wealth, but is that successful? What's the answer? Absolutely. How about this woman here? You know who she is? I don't either. Uh, I Googled random woman on earth. <laughs> And this, pay, this picture showed up, and I thought, oh, that, her face seems interesting. I don't know who she is. She could be famous in some circles. I have no idea. She's just a random woman on Google. By random chance, you might be here this morning. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't know who this woman is. So she's not famous. She may not be rich, but is she successful? So is this woman successful? If her heart is, over the course of her life, aligning more with the heart of God then it doesn't matter if she's rich, it doesn't matter if she's famous, it doesn't matter if she's influential, she's successful. I loved uh, Evan's story, and believe me, I, I can sympathize with what it's like to be very frustrated over little things, like moving cars in and out of a garage and all the annoyances of life, right? I totally get that, and you can just kind of be grumpy. But then to have the awareness, there's a, a spouse, a wife in there, and, and two kids, and my life is good, my life is successful. It's a good spot to be. It's a great spot to be. The Apostle John details success. Two definitions of success. He's the best friend of Jesus, saw every minute of the life of Jesus, even the most you know, kind of intimate, private you know, experiences. He was in Jesus' inner circle. He saw it all, heard it all. And so he writes in, in his letter, 1 John, what is success? And he says this, do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not fully experience the love of the Father in you. So he's drawing a comparison. If you love the world, you're chasing after the success of the world, you're chasing after the wealth and the fame and the influence. You know, nothing wrong with those, but if you're chasing after those, that's just an empty and hollow and temporary kind of thing. He says, on the other hand, a definition, definition of success is, is to know and experience the love of the Father. And that's what we've talked about this entire series. If we know we are loved and know we're accepted, just knowing the love of God, we can feel, you know, th there's a success there. I just know the love of God. He cherishes me and I can take great pleasure in that. And then maybe I could start moving his heart forward in the people around me. 
that I can get my soul in line with the soul of God. And so he declares me successful just because of who I am, not because of my performance. So I can feel successful just being a child of God. And then I can start over time just kind of moving his heart forward with the people around me. Family, workplace, neighborhood, wherever. He goes on to say this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. These are the world's values. Again, nothing wrong with it, but there's a better definition of success. Knowing the heart of God for me and moving the heart of God forward over the course of my life. It's pretty cool. Riches and fame and influence are valued by the world, but not valued by God. Just period. God is unimpressed with your bank account. Unimpressed. Unimpressed with your 401k. Do you think God looks at Bezos' boats and is like, wow, that, now that's. He's the creator of the cosmos. He's not impressed with a boat. Careless, right? Not that it's bad. Boats get you from here to there. Destroying the environment. But anyway, God's not impressed with that stuff. God is every bit as much impressed with Jeff Bezos as he is that random picture of the random woman I showed. God is just as impressed with that woman who I'm just gonna trust and believe is moving her heart toward the heart of God over the course of her life, right? <clears throat> God is not impressed by any earthly definition of success. He wants our hearts aligned with his because when God decided to make his presence known on this earth, it wasn't through Jeff Bezos, wasn't through kings, wasn't through queens, <clears throat> wasn't through any measure of earthly success. When God showed up, he showed up as the least successful person on earth. Read the Christmas story. It's not this warm, magical thing. It is an absolute and utter tragedy. The Christmas story is a tragedy. We sang about Mary's story. Help me be like Mary. Mary's story is tragic. Here she is, a, a, an unmarried woman with child, and her fiancé knows it's not his. Now, 2,000 years ago, hyper-religious culture, how's that going to go for you? Terrible shame, terrible rejection, and the whole injustice of the Roman occupier sending her to a different city to give birth, and there's no room inside any building for her. She gives birth in a cold barn with animals. That's how God showed up as the least successful person on earth. Let me just throw a thought experiment out there. If God showed up today, 2024, if God showed up today, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he showed up as a displaced Palestinian in Gaza. Because when God showed up, he showed up as the least successful person on earth, the most marginalized that's how God showed up. He is not impressed with our definition of success at all. Here's the way it's put in 1 Corinthians 1.28. I love this. God chose things despised by the world, and he's talking first about Jesus. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So here's this lofty definition of success that's found in American culture, that's found in the Old Testament, that's found probably in, in, in most of us at some level. Wealth, fame, influence. God showed up as nothing, the least successful person on earth, despised, rejected, right? That's how God showed up. And over time, what 
what the heart of God wants to do is to make nothing the things that were considered something. So to just say the, you know, fame of um, Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift, ah, you know, fine. But is it really anything? You know, don't put it down, but is it really something to go, ooh, Jeff Bezos' boat. It's a boat. Is that really something to be jealous of? Oh, he gets to ride on that boat, you know? How about we make the, the, the things that we measure as, as success over time, just reduce that value and over time increase the value of what God treasures. And that is the value of love and the value of people and the value of helping people in need. There's this very interesting little story in Mark. It's actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And it's a really quick title, right? Rich, young, and a ruler. So he's got it all, right? He's got all the measures of earthly success. And he's also very religious. He's following the commandments. And so he's thinking he's something. I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler, and I'm keeping all the religious commandments. So he comes up to Jesus, probably with a little swagger of somebody whose apex question is, am I successful? Comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, am I missing anything? And I'm sure he was hoping to hear, no, you got it all. You're rich, you're young, you're a ruler, you're hyper-religious. And Jesus... Mark 10, felt genuine love for him. And I love this because this guy's gonna get it wrong here in a minute, <laughs> right? But Jesus loves the rich young ruler. He wasn't there to make him feel bad. He wasn't there to condemn him, but he knew he was chasing the worldly definition of success. And let me just say as a quick side note, being hyper-religious is a worldly definition of success. I'm gonna be successful in my religion and the most obedient, and I'm gonna look down on you. It's, it's all the same stuff, right? Look at me. That's his whole life. Look at me. What am I missing, Jesus? So that more people can look at me. And Jesus felt genuine love and compassion. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Let me be clear, crystal clear. Never in the Bible is the standard selling everything and giving it all to the poor. That is never the standard in the Bible. I'm not going to ask you to do that today, and I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> right? We're called to be generous, but never is there the standard, sell everything and give it all to the poor. But Jesus knew this man's heart. He was chasing worldly success. Riches, fame, influence, and religion. Jesus knew he was serving the wrong master, and he just wanted to introduce this concept that success can be aligning with the heart of God, which is to help the poor, help people in need. Now, I'm reading between the lines, and I could totally be wrong, but because there's no standard at all in the Bible of us being asked to sell everything and give it all to the poor, I'm kind of convinced that if the man said, oh, you know, you're right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna really think about that and, and, and let's walk in that direction, I'm almost sure Jesus would say, well, you don't really need to do that. Let's work a generosity plan. But he was just testing his heart and his heart was clear. I'm serving worldly success and my soul is not aligned with the soul of God. And so for us, I think it's good to just do some evaluation. Where is my soul. If my soul is in worldly success, chasing the money and chasing the fame and chasing the recognition and chasing the influence and getting people to look at me, if that's where our heart is, just know by what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he deeply loves us. He deeply cares for us. He's a big fan of ours. He just wants us to move our soul a little bit more towards his direction. 
which is a direction of love and kindness and compassion and generosity and serving others and helping people in need. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not about riches. It is about people. It's about people. So I wanna end our time together in Romans 12. And it's just gonna be a simple sort of a closing prayer by reading a few phrases, actually 13 phrases in Romans 12. Because I believe Romans chapter 12 is the greatest description of success I have ever read. It is Jesus-centered success, it is grace-based success, and it is an invitation for us to get our soul, our psyche, aligned with the soul of God. So as I slowly read each of these 13 phrases, just ask yourself the question, is this where my heart is headed? Not that you're perfect in this, I'm certainly not, but is this where my heart is, is headed? Do I want this definition of success? And if you do want this definition of success, your life will truly be successful, no matter how much money you make, no matter how famous you are, and no matter how much influence you have, this is the definition of success. Here we go. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Romans 12, nine, really love people. That's success. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. No faking, a genuine eye to eye, I appreciate you, I value you, affection. That's success. Take delight in honoring each other. Delight, my pleasure is to honor others, lift others up. Not looking for accolades, not looking for attention, but I'm gonna give accolades and attention and I'm gonna honor the people around me. That's success. When people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager to practice hospitality, just being a welcoming person, no matter where you are, welcoming people, no matter who they are. Bless those who persecute you and pray that God will bless them. That is like advanced level success, by the way. That's like you, when you can pray for the success of those who are harassing you, that's a big, big deal. Not easy. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. This is empathy. That is success. If you're an empathetic person, if somebody's celebrating something and telling the story of their great success, do not say, oh yeah, but then me, I, me, I, me. No, just celebrate their success. Celebrate their happiness. Don't bring any attention to you. And if somebody is crying, put your emotion into their experience and weep with them and walk with them and, gr and grieve with them. That's success. Live in harmony with each other. If there's any relationship that's strained in your life, bring harmony there. And it may not be easy. I've got a couple of gnarly things going on myself in this regard, right? But our hearts aligned with the heart of God, our soul aligned with the heart of God brings harmony over time. That's success. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be more excited to hang out with somebody who's higher on the corporate ladder than somebody lower on the corporate ladder. In God's eyes, he's not impressed with any of that. Be eager, excited to hang out with everybody. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Just live a life of honor and integrity. Don't do construction work when you don't have a contractor's license. Honor and integrity in everything you do. 
And finally, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Live in peace with everyone. We all know our, our country is heading into an election season, which it always is. It's nonstop, it doesn't end. And there are gonna be billions of dollars, $15 billion trying to get you to dislike somebody else. And whole systems and conversations and family conversations and divisions over politics, religion, you name it. There's a thousand reasons to tear each other apart and to say we're better than you and judge other people. And what's the definition of success in Romans 12, 18? Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Romans 12 is the heart of God for success. I encourage you sometime this week, read Romans 12. This is the heart of God for success. God, would you help us walk in that way? Let's pray. God, this world offers so many things, shiny things, expensive things. And so much money and attention is steering us in the direction of riches and possessions and fame and influence. Would you help our heart to kind of decouple from that and start to long for a different definition of success? To know that we're loved by you without condition, that you look upon us and you declare success over our lives just for being alive and thinking these thoughts and wanting to be more and more like Jesus, even in small and simple ways. To be loving, to be kind, to be hospitable, to be forgiving, to be welcoming, all these things we see in Romans 12. May our hearts align with your heart and seek this kind of success to make this world a little bit of a better place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.